Derek Bocamp is a guy who's been a friend of ours for a number of years. He's worked in church ministry for many years. He most recently and currently is the program director at United Christian Youth Camp over in Prescott. And so we get an, an opportunity to connect a couple different times a year. And we have students from here that have been a part of UCYC for a long time. And so it is a privilege and honor for us to have Derek here teaching. So would you just give him a warm welcome this morning? Thanks, Matt. Thank you, everybody. Good to see you all again. Uh, I was last out here getting to share with, with you all in uh, April of this year. And I uh, just wanted to share a quick note with you before we jumped in. Um, you know, because I work at a camp and we work with churches, you end up in a lot of different churches. Uh, and, and, and believe it or not, not every church is as friendly as you guys are. <laughs> like, you guys actually say hi here. And ask how people are. And I love that. Yeah, you guys can totally like, and I say that as a a lighthearted way to start, but truly thank you. Um, It's always weird to come and be a visitor and and get up here. And um, I've talked about you guys in this church since I was here in April is just, you guys are so welcoming and inclusive. And when I think about what the church is, uh, that's what it's all about. So so thank you all for being uh, wonderful and welcoming. And it it means a lot. uh, And it makes me feel like part of the family from just a a couple of cities over. Uh, So thank you for that. And and don't lose that spirit because that is what the church is all about. So uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, since I saw y'all last, I, I got engaged and we're getting married in March. And so excited about that. Um, she's awesome. She agreed to marry me. So I just thrilled. She didn't have to do that. She, she's cool with it though. So um, I'm uh, just, just, thankful though, and we'll, we'll kind of jump in and uh, you'll see it up on the screen, but the title of the message today is First Things First. First Things First. And this title comes from a book of the same name by Stephen Covey uh, called First Things First. And in this book, uh, Stephen Covey talks all about priorities and what is the first priority in your life and, and getting priorities straight. And that's sort of where we're going to be at today. And this time of year is perfect for a conversation about that, right? Sort of the week between Christmas and New Year's where many of us, if you're like me, you pause and you look back at the last year, you say, man, this was such a highlight. This was awesome. I learned this. Some of us look back and we're like, this was such a low light. I wish I never learned that lesson. This, right? We look back and then what do we do is we kind of close that book called 2018. We start to look forward. What do I want this next year to look like? What are my goals? What are my year-long resolutions for January? And we build these things out. And we realize that there's a correct, a right way to do that. And so when we talk about first things first, what I want to do is I want to talk about the right order and the right way to go about things. Like Matt mentioned, I work at UCYC and uh, we are in Prescott and every summer we hire 120 college-age summer staffers. In fact, your church has sent some of those our way uh, over the years, and we're thankful for that. And in my job of making sure that kids are safe and kids experience the outdoors and the love of Jesus, uh, you kind of get your job description, 
right, when you first start, and it lists out, here's your responsibilities, here's what's expected of you, da 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 And any of us who have been, you know, working for a little bit, you know there's the job description you get, and then there's the real job description, right? And you, you, you never get that one. You're supposed to figure that out. No one tells you, but this is what you're really supposed to do, and you're not supposed to say that, and, right? So one of the things I quickly learned in my job is that a big part of it would be helping lead these 120 college-age summer staff. Many of them never been out of the house before. They've never had a job. And so teaching them things like, this is a hammer, and <laughs> this, this is how it works. This is the top, and this is the bottom, and you go, boom. You know, uh, and, and, and things like, you can't just not show up to work without telling me about it, like uh, at least a call, um, right? And so there's something I, I tell all of them right away because there's a right way to do things. And uh, I truly do have a heart for these college-age students and get to be part of their lives and help develop them, and I love that about my job. But when you get 120 college-age people together, they all want to fall in love with each other. It's just... <laughs> There are, there are something, you know, gravity and that, those things are always going to be in place. And so on the first day of them all arriving, it's like the first day of school and they're all talking and all that. And I go, all right, everybody, gather up, gather up, come sit here, okay? And, and I kind of am like a father figure to them, right? And I'm the, I claim them on my taxes. And so I, I get all 120 of them together and say, hey, there's the right way to do things, there's the right order, there's the wrong way to do things. Here's the deal. You cannot date without me giving you permission. Okay? Yeah? Huh? Me. Middle. Okay? <laughs> so, I then tell them what I've learned over the years. I look at each of them in the eyes. I say, one of you will try to hide this from me. <laughs> and the other 119 of you are going to sell them out because you want me to like you and you have like government secrets that you're gonna sell back to me for pennies on the dollar. <laughs> this is a universal truth. No one has ever kept anything from me. So, summer's going on. Sure enough, someone comes up to me. They got a scoop on something. <laughs> now, everyone at camp has camp nicknames to help kind of protect and create separation from students, right? So they said uh, that a certain summer staffer whose name is dump truck, right? Sounds like he's making good decisions in his life. Uh, the dump truck and so-and-so have started a kind of a secret relationship. Whew. There's no right to privacy in our world. They all live on camp, so their houses are mine. So I just walked into his house one day. I was like, dump truck, hey, buddy. Right away. I noticed he has marks on his neck. I'll leave it vague, okay? He's got marks on his neck, and I'm like, I swear, okay. Dump truck, give me your eyes. What are those marks on your neck, buddy? Oh. And then, of course, I, I'm working with Einstein here, so he gets an idea. I got hit by a rake. <laughs> she has a name, like. Uh, no, 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 we're not doing this. Give me your eyes. What's the marks on your neck? Yeah, I, I got hit by a rake. I got hit. So you're telling me someone repeatedly hit you with a lip-shaped rake? 
Yeah. There's a summer staffer, another one in there, sitting on the couch like 10 feet away, just like eating popcorn, watching the show. I'm like, did Dump Truck get hit by a rake? He's like, no, yeah. What I tell you, you sell him out. So he will not tell me. And I know it's true, right? He will not tell me, but we're trying to care for these people and play a long game and pastor and care for them. And sure enough, Right at the end of summer, what do you see on social media and on Facebook is that they've been secretly dating the whole time. And it bums me out because there's a right way to do things. There's first things, there's priorities, and we want healthy relationships, and we want to teach young people uh, how to date well and be in relationship and be pure and all those things. So it truly bums me out because I know there's a right order to things. Now, if that goofy story is true in my world of camp, that there's a right way to do things and we can have any number of scenarios that applies to you, how much more on the scale of our entire lives is that true? That there's a right thing to be first in our lives. There's a right way to move about things that will create good results. In my experience with people, and I think you've probably come across this too, I've never met someone who wanted to live a bad life. You don't meet those people, do you? What's your resolution for 2019? I hope it's terrible. <laughs> it's a weird one, right? People always hope for the better. People want a good life. So if people always want a good life, but unfortunately many of them don't live a great life, what's the separation in the middle? My hope is that we're going to tease out ancient truths from Jesus that help set that up. We're in Matthew chapter 6 today, and we're going to be looking really at one verse. And I love how the Bible can just take one verse and you can just talk so much about it. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is a section of the Bible called the Sermon on the Mount, and it's a collection of Jesus' teaching on a whole variety of different topics. So if you're looking to know more about Jesus, can I just recommend you start there? It'll teach you so much about who Jesus is and his heart for people and what, what Jesus teaches followers of, of him. So there's this really key verse in Matthew chapter 6. It's verse 33, and I'll read it to you. Jesus is teaching people, he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. You're probably familiar with it. Now, if you're not careful, you just read that verse and you, you miss a couple things. The first word there is but, meaning that there's something that came before it, right? This is the very famous section of scripture all about anxiety. So let's rewind two verses back. Verse 31 says, this is Jesus talking still. Do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the non-believers, the people who are not following Jesus, Seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Then our verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. The ancient people's priorities are what? We just, we just read them. They want food, they want water, they want shelter. This is very understandable if you rewind back 2,000 years, right? And now... In 2018, almost 19, when we apply this to ourselves, we have much more sophisticated priorities, do we not? Right? Jesus might be saying, right, do not worry about the perfect Christmas 
where your kids wake up and before they tear open their presents, they thank you for the hard work and the preparation, right? This is a uh, priority is like having the ideal job where your boss notices everything you do and says, you know, here's, here's a raise. I just noticed you put in those extra hours, right? All those things are our modern priorities. But here's what I want to build on. Is it possible that our current priorities, the things Jesus might say to us, are just a fancy, modern way of saying idols? Let me build on that a little bit. An idol comes from ancient history. And you can think of the story in the Bible of the of God's people, the Israelites, as they're leaving Egypt. And if you'll recall, Moses goes up to the mountain and the people get fearful, so they make an idol out of a golden calf. And this idol was their God. And they worshipped this idol. This idol could save them. This idol could deliver them. It's an icon. It's an image. And you see this throughout all of history in all different cultures. Now, in present day, the things that are first priorities in our life, we might not call an idol, but really, if we boil it down, they can be, can't they? Here's a question. What is the number one thing in your life? The number one priority? Number one focus? It's probably something noble for most of us that pops into mind. Family probably came to mind for a lot of us, right? Health, security. But let me ask a question. I promise we're going we're gonna to expand on this. Is that working how you hoped it would work? Is that working how you hoped it would work? Let's play with the family example because this is, this is one in our culture. When family is the chief center of our lives, when it's a priority that's become an idol, then that thing has to make us full. So instead of just enjoying Christmas morning, you felt a pit in your stomach because it wasn't the perfect Christmas morning. Instead of just enjoying seeing your kids grow up, there's a sense of resistance because it's not exactly how you pictured it. It's because this thing is first. There's a theologian named Charles Spurgeon, and he says, what you idolize, you eventually demonize. Another way to put it is that when we place things in place of God, it's like drinking salt water. It's close but it leaves us feeling more and more dehydrated. Let me propose an alternative view for you. There's a book that I really love, would highly recommend, by a guy named Charles Duhigg, and this book is called The Power of Habit. It's not a Christian book, but like many things, it's secular authors catching up to what the Bible's been talking about for a couple thousand years. This book's all about how we develop habits. And he has this very interesting idea called keystone habits. Here's what a keystone habit is. A keystone habit is any habit that informs every other area of your life. I'll give you a couple examples. If you exercise daily, that's a keystone habit. When you exercise daily, do you feel better? Yep. <laughs> Not me, I don't know. Uh, when you feel better, you have more energy. When you have more energy, are you a little more engaged with your significant other? A little more locked in with your kids? 
When those relationships are strong, isn't the household a little happier? Household's a little happier, can't you do more cool stuff in the community? The community is better, don't more people meet Jesus? More people meet Jesus, they get set free and they feel freedom and grace and truth. You see what I'm talking about? It's a habit that informs everything else. Uh, when I was in college, my keystone habit was eating fast food like eight times a day. <laughs> Did I feel good? No. When I don't feel good, am I, am I a fun person to be around? I'm not a fun person to be around. Do people want to be my friend? Right? No, 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 no. These are keystone habits. You might see where I'm going. What Jesus is getting at, and we'll put in modern language, but seek first. What if God was our keystone moving forward into 2019? When God is the center focus of my life, what it allows me to do is demote my family and my finances and my perfect health and my perfect situation, those things do not have to be my status symbol anymore. When God is the center of my life, I in fact become better at those things. Because I open up God's word and I see, man, God says that I, I, I'm gonna treat the people around me like they're Christ, like I'm gonna treat them so well. So what do I do? I'm more loving. I read what the Bible says about money and I go, oh my gosh, this thing is not a, I'm not a slave to this thing. This thing's a tool for good. It's the old rising tide lifts all boats. This is what Jesus is saying. But seek first the kingdom of God. That's why family is important. Finances are important. All those things matter. But when God is the center, those things tend to work themselves out. My encouragement for us is that we would seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's message brought through Jesus that there is a way to be in perfect community with him, that there is grace, that there is forgiveness, that God is going to rule righteously again, that there will be no more sin, no more death. When we seek that, everything starts to improve. So that's the, that's the why. If you're going, well, maybe, maybe I need to do some more of that. That sounds pretty good. I don't know. I like that. The boats and all the things. How do we, how do we actually do that? I'm going to give you a, a few practical examples. It will be no surprise to anyone who's tried the Christian journey that putting God first takes work, right? Putting God first takes work. Jesus uses the word seek in the scriptures. Finish the phrase, hide and go. I didn't go, cool, I feel better about that one. Thank you, guys. <laughs> seeking is a verb. Seeking is an action. Seeking is something you do. If you want God to be first in your life, you have to take action toward it. God has done work. I want to make sure that we're not saying that, oh, I have to go get myself saved or get myself forgiven. God's taking care of that. If you want more God, though, you're going to have to go seek him. These summer staffers. At the end of summer, we select 10 of them to be year-long interns with us. It's very powerful. They don't have to use their nicknames anymore. They're given a Christian name. It's very beautiful. <laughs> so we have a summer, uh, summer staffer who's become an intern, and I, I love this part of my job. I just get to pour into them and care for them and help shape them. And, and so his name is Mike. 
And Mike comes to me one day, he's like, Derek, man, like, I just feel far from the Lord. Like, I just feel like there's separation. I just, I, could you sit down and talk with me? Of course, Mike, I can sit down and talk with you, man. I'd love to take you to coffee. We go to coffee. I'm like, get whatever you want. He gets like a $9 coffee. I'm like, what? Forget it. Never mind. And there's no help for you. And so we, we sit down and I, I say, well, let's just start with this, Mike. You're feeling far from God. Let's just start. We're going to start here. Tell me about how your morning starts. He's like, oh, dude, my morning's, my morning's crazy. Like, I, I, got, I got work at 8.30, so I'm usually, I get up at like 8.28. And <laughs> you know that I, I live on camp, I work at camp, so usually I just like roll out of bed and start running towards the office. I'm like, what? You just wake up and start running? That's, that's weird. Do you... What, do you sleep in your work clothes? Are you dressing on the way? Do you brush your teeth? Like, okay, so you just r- run there. Yeah, I just, I don't know, it's 828, I run to the office. All right, cool. Now everyone's a morning person. That's okay. Tell me about after work. You go, you pour yourself out for eight hours. Tell me about what you do after work. He's like, oh, dude. I've been talking about this video game I've been playing, right? I was like, yeah, it's all you've been talking about, Mike. And, well, I get off work about five o'clock and I, start playing video games until I pass out. And then, let me guess, that's when the 828 thing happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, this is a millennial version of Groundhog Day. This is what this is. And so, Mike, listen closely. Went to four years of Bible college for what I'm about to tell you. You're not seeking God. Oh, wow. Thanks, Pastor Derek. It's not rocket science, right? We, we hear that story about him, and it's a goofy story. I'm obviously poking fun at him, and I'm, I'm thrilled that he's trying to know who God is. But don't we just do our own version of that, and it's just less humorous? <laughs> we wake up in the morning. We get on with our day. We're not thinking about the Lord. We're not seeking. I do this. We get home, we're tired, pass out, repeat. We have to seek God. We have to go after him. Here's three easy ways to do it. We seek God with our time. We seek God with our time. There's a quote, and I couldn't find the original author of it, so I'm just going to attribute it to myself. Um, It says, Show me how you spend your time and I'll show you your priorities. Show me how you spend your time and I'll show you your priorities. Listen, I might get up here in front of y'all and say that God is my number one, but more often than not, when I get off work and I just want to be selfish, it's just watching TV. It's just scrolling on my phone. It's not doing something meaningful. It's just zoning out. We seek God with how we spend our time. What if in the new year you made a commitment to spend five minutes in the morning and five minutes in the evening with the Lord, reading your Bible, listening, praying, talking to God. If you're at zero minutes right now and that is A-OK, you've just given yourself an infinite spiritual increase. That's a good return. You might spend time, I, I don't know, but what if you just had structured time and you did five minutes in the morning in January and, and then in February... You, you did six minutes. <laughs> and then in March, set seven, right? You know, like, uh, 
Man, what if you just started there? You don't need to start with a three-hour quiet time in the morning, maybe, maybe one day, but imagine how our lives would be different if we just sought God with our time. If you just started your morning and said, Lord, today I want it to be about you. I want you to be first. Help me. I'm going to make mistakes today. I'm going to say stuff I don't mean to. I'm going to do stuff I don't want to. Help me. Then you got in bed at night and you're like, we'll try it again tomorrow, okay? I challenge you to make a daily commitment of time with God. Seek God with your thoughts. Seek God with your thoughts. In Proverbs, there's a verse that just says, as a man thinks, so he is. We obviously expand that to all of us as we think, so we are. Our thoughts shape our reality. Have you ever had a toxic thought? Doesn't it just ruin your day? It's usually something kind of small. It tanks your day, and then it gets resolved in a really easy way, and you think to yourself, why was I upset? I've taken on more responsibility at work, and I found myself with 10 full-time employees that I was supposed to manage under the age of 25. And I was really tired. <laughs> because, again, we're helping coach and we're helping learn. But to be honest, I was just finding myself in really negative thoughts. Like, they would do something wrong, and I'd be like, I'm a terrible leader, and they're terrible followers, for that matter. Right? And I think you can connect with me on this. I would wake up in the morning and I would already be frustrated at them. How unfair is that? And I was noticing that these thoughts were not seeking first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. It was anger, it was unfair. And so what I had to do is I'd say, I wanna seek God with my thoughts. So I, I, I have no large view of my own theology or ability to follow Jesus. I just started with a piece of paper and wrote down what I know is true. So it's things like the same God that loves me loves the people I work with. And I read it every morning. I'm not going to be their critic. I'm going to be their coach. They might not have learned this, but I'm going to teach them. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to extend grace. What am I doing in that situation? I'm reclaiming my thoughts because those thoughts probably are not from God, are they? They are untrue lies designed to throw me off course. So I have to straighten my thoughts and go back to what is true. We seek God with our thoughts. We seek God with our actions. We seek God with our actions. Jesus is the prime, perfect example of doing good for others who could do nothing good for him in return. And when we think about bringing the kingdom of God to earth, for those of us that follow Jesus, this is our call as well. What if you just had one action per day that had no gain to you. You took someone to lunch who cannot repay you. <laughs> you listened to someone who has no one to talk to. And we know that that's an epidemic in 2018-19 with all the connectedness. You got on the ground and played with your, your grandchildren or your kids or your nieces and your nephews and you just had fun and you just released all the pretense of trying to have it all together. Could you imagine how freeing that would be to just go and do for others to seek God with our actions? Here's how we'll, we'll end. Um, 
we talked about the why, and that's the keystone habit part, and hopefully that's some practical hows that uh, as I'm on the journey, I've tried to put in place in my own flawed way. Um, but last, we'll just say uh, what happens when we start to do this. I've said it a couple times, but when God is first, everything is better. When God is first, everything is better. The end of this little verse that we've been unpacking just says a promise from Jesus, and all of these things will be added to you. Remember we made that bridge that the people are talking about food and water and shelter, and then we're saying it it kind of applies to more, and, and so Jesus just says, and all these things will be added to you. In 2019, if you want more peace in your spirit, seek God first and all these things will be added to you. You want to have less anxiety, seek God first and all these things will be added to you. You want to release your family from just your your grip of it having to be perfect, seek God first and all these things will be added to you. You want more hope in the world, seek God first and all these things will be added to you. Do you see what I'm saying? Seek God first and all these things will be added to you. Now, I want to pause there. It's probably not going to be exactly the way you think it should be. You and I are not God. You know, like, I sought God first and my family is not perfect. No. What I've found and what I believe you have found in your experience is that slowly it becomes apparent what God is doing and you have faith and you trust. Isn't that right? Seek God first and slowly these changes will take place. There's a Japanese word for it. It's called kaizen and they use it in manufacturing and what kaizen means is just this simple idea of small improvement over time leads to exponential growth. And I think it's another one of those truths that God told us a long time ago. <laughs> that just slowly, faithfully, God will shape us. And years later, you'll look back at 2018 and you're going to see how far God has taken you. And you'll string together a day of seeking God first and a week and 10 days and then you'll fall off and you'll get back to it and you'll keep going. Two people to speak to. Number one, if you've been pursuing Christ for a long time and you're just worn out and you feel like it's just getting exhausting to keep him first, as Paul in the New Testament alludes to many times, run the race with endurance. Do not give up hope. Keep placing God first. Paul uses a lot of running analogies, and if you've ever been running before or gone for a jog, many of us have, right? You're, what happens, like, you start running, and you're like, I'm feeling good. Feeling good, looking good. Where's Nike at? It's the, it's the photo shoot right now. And then if you're like me, you run a tenth of a mile, and you're like, I am dying. And in, in my head that was before is, you know, just moving. I, I'm like looking down and all that. And I'm looking at this. I'm like, oh gosh, I look like a lanky Disney character. And what the urge of the follower of, of Jesus is, is not to look at ourselves, but it's to look up and look at Christ. Knowing that that will be what provides us energy to keep going, to keep putting him first. And again in life, you will keep looking down and going, man, I can't do this. I can't do this. Of course we can't do this. Look up. There's Jesus, keep running. If you feel like in this message of putting God first 
in your life if you feel like God wouldn't even want to be first in my life because of all the junk and all the mistakes that I've made? Can I just promise you something that that is the opposite of the gospel? Jesus loves you so much and you didn't earn it and you don't deserve it and your stat sheet didn't pad it so that God likes you. (laughs) He likes you because he made you. He likes you because Jesus made him right with you. He loves you. And there's nothing you can do to earn that favor and that's why Christians use that word grace so much. It's because the God of the universe loves you. So fear not. You're first in God's eyes. Put him first in yours. My own parents grew up atheists. They were 48 years old when they first accepted Jesus and brought me to church one day and I accepted Jesus and that changed my whole life. They put him first one day. My grandmother we spoke to about Jesus for years and years. She was raised Jewish, had no interest in it. When she was 82 years old, she ended up in a Baptist church and accepted Christ. Whoa! She passed away one year later and gets to spend eternity with Jesus. It's never too late. So if that's you and you can't get your head around that, know that God has got a plan for you. So that's my hope for y'all. Maybe maybe this message just prompts you to put a phone reminder in just daily. Today I'll put God first. Today I'll put God first. Put something on the side of your bed. Put something on your dashboard. Just today I'm putting God first. And my hope is that as you do that, this next year for you is the best year ever. It's the best year for your family. It's the best year for this incredible church. That's what I hope for you is that because God is first, this is an incredible year. Let's pray. God, thank you for the ability to come and share. Thank you uh, for this church family and the work that they, they do. And I just pray, God, that uh, you'd give us some time to just reflect on what we want to be first in our lives. Um, help us place you there consistently. And I pray that this next year would be incredible because you're first. Identify ways for us to do this better. And, and if nothing else, Father, remind us of Jesus and that each and every one of us are loved and right because of Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray, amen.